Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Dark Rose Comics Podcast. This is a podcast where we dissect and analyze the deeper meanings of comics, all the while attempting to become coffee connoisseurs. I'm one of your hosts, my name is Jerry E, and I'm joined by my co-host, Victor Young. This week, the coffee that we'll be trying is a coffee from the Dak Lak province in Vietnam. It is a coffee that we picked up locally, actually, from a shop called Coffee Dak Lak in Pacific Mall in the... Uh, Toronto Markham region and the comics that we're going to be analyzing this week are Batman the Dawnbreaker and Batman the Drowned. Before we get into any of that though let's catch up on some of the things we've done last week. Uh, What have you been up to Victor? Uh, Well recently I've been trying to catch up on a few mangas I've been reading. Um, I recently caught up with a manga called Black Clover which is actually a series that got picked up uh, for for an anime for 50 uh, episodes. Okay. So they're really pushing this one to really be a contender with the big three. Okay. Right? Right. So it's not, I mean, it's not new, right? I mean, yeah. it's 147 issues in, so yeah, you're yeah, looking yeah. at like three. And they, they got a ways to go before they, they gotta, catch up boy, those big three. Oh, exactly, right? Yeah. Uh, but they're really trying to push this to sort of fill the void that... Um, that Naruto left since right. it uh, since it ended, and I guess Bleach as well. Yeah, uh, but that's what I've been up to. What about you, Jerry? I I've been watching a lot of people play uh, Dragon Ball Super card game. Vegeta never um, dies. Vegeta never dies. <laughs> never. Um, so that's a deck that I'm running. It's actually really fun, and it's actually a lot of fun watching a lot of people sort of top tournaments and win tournaments, or just get close to winning tournaments based on that deck. Yeah. Because there's a lot of other decks out there, but. Vegeta, it's hanging on. It's hanging on it's even after dies. the even after the big rule changes. Exactly. For set three coming up. Right? Exactly. Yeah, but we're going to talk about that later. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but um, I think right now we should probably just get on to uh, to our coffee segment. Uh, this is a segment that we sort of pick a coffee and we try to analyze its flavor notes. This week we decided to visit a shop in you know locally in our area, and we decided to just try out one of their specialty coffees, and we're gonna. To see what we end up with. So uh, let's do it. That's it. It's coffee time. Coffee time. Okay, and welcome back to our coffee segment where we test out specialty coffees that are sent in to us, try and pick up fragrances and flavor notes, and see how well we did in comparison to the notes that are provided with the coffee. Mm-hmm. This week, however, and every few weeks moving forward, we'll be going around the city to try it and see what our local coffee shops have to offer. This week, we have a coffee from the Dak Lak province in Vietnam, which is one of the largest exporters of coffee beans in the world, shipping to approximately 80 different countries and territories. A lot of uh, attention has been paid to improving the quality of the bean for export recently, so uh, I think this is an exciting time to try this coffee. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we don't have any fragrance or flavor notes to refer to afterwards this week, so this will be more of our interpretation of what this particular coffee may or may not be. Mm-hmm. All right, so Jerry, why don't you start it off, off with a little bit of a sniff sniff. Okay. All right. Why are you always so intense looking? No <laughs> way. <laughs> coffee. Yeah. It's like life for death right now. <laughs> Listen, if I'm not doing it intensely, I'm doing it wrong. Yeah, you know that's a good point. It's very strong. Okay. It's very strong. It's very bitter. Okay. I can I can sense the bitter in my nose. In your nose. <laughs> <laughs> so you're getting more of a um. Uh, what, how would you even describe that? Um, I guess you're getting a bit more of a, um, like, it seems like a very blank note, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nothing, nothing like the, nothing like the ones we previously had. Right. I think those all have some sort of underlying fruity tone. Um, mm-hmm. 
but for something like this like there's there's none of that this mm. is very much just just intensity intensity yeah it's just the smell of intensity <laughs> <laughs> okay l- let me give this a let yeah, me give you, this you a go sniff ahead and see how this goes so he's got hmm he's, okay hmm he's got oh he's digging his nose back into the coffee don't don't uh don't, don't accidentally, sip it accidentally uh, this time <laughs> i'll try not to <laughs> you know what you're correct but i feel like i'm getting a little bit more i'm just not quite sure what it is exactly like it almost smells very i like how in an attempt to not accidentally sip this you're bringing your nose to the coffee listen man not no, the coffee to your nose there's no other way to do it <laughs> there's no other way to do it if i don't want this to spill all over me then there's no choice lips, exactly right? <laughs> like there's a very um like it almost smells like like a freshly picked plant if that makes any sense okay like like uh, like grass or something that you'd pick straight from from the ground that's what it smells like to me okay to me it almost almost smells like the root okay yeah okay yeah yeah I'm, I'm definitely getting that too i think we're sort of coming to the same conclusion on that one. i think so um why don't you give us yeah, a why don't you give it, us yeah. a taste go ahead oh that is strong yeah <laughs> that is really strong i'm looking at this right now yeah and I feel like I kind of screwed up and put too much uh, oh, so? <laughs> coffee bean in here. Like, I feel like I might just have a heart attack or something after <laughs> drinking this. Yeah, don't even think about going back to sleep. After. No, forget it, man. <laughs> forget it. Up all night, buddy. What are you getting? Other than strong. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's some sort of bitter root. That's what I'm getting. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Let me see if I'm sort of getting the same thing here. Yeah, like it's almost like a... um, Like it's almost like a... Like a ginseng, sort of. Okay. Um, What's that... What's that red bean that you use in soup? Uh red bean no no it's not no it's not red bean because there's uh, red bean soup right there's red bean soup <laughs> but I'm, I'm thinking of something like this one red bean in particular uh Go- goji berry <laughs> goji- <laughs> <laughs> dried goji berries maybe i don't know i don't know you did say red so lingonberry Ling- no for- forget the lingonberry man. <laughs> just let it go yeah one day <laughs> move on man <laughs> one day <laughs> One day lingonberry will get its time to shine. Yeah, like it's, it's definitely getting a lot of a lot of ginseng. Yeah, like a lot of the, a lot of like the traditional uh, sort of Chinese like dried roots that you that you'd buy from from a store. Yeah, that's 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 what I'm definitely getting. What about? What about? No, I think I'm thinking about the wrong thing. Thought about tamarind for some reason. Tamarind. Yeah, but I don't think it's that. Mm. No, I don't. Think I don't so know. Either. I feel like tamarind has has um, has a bit of sweetness to it. You think so? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably thinking about the wrong thing. 
Yeah, I definitely feel like at this point I'm drinking some Chinese medicine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know what it is? Uh, when we were at the shop too, she had also mentioned to us that to bring out the flavor, like you got to put in a little bit of condensed milk. I yeah. Think, right? Yeah. Yeah. And actually that's what they had over there is yeah. in the shop they had mm-hmm. condensed milk coffee. Yeah. And I think that's what really would bring out the flavor. Yeah. Um, we don't have any condensed milk with us today. No. But yeah. I think moving forward, like, you know, that we do have more of this. We do have more of the beans. So we could try to put some condensed milk in it. Yeah. Maybe try to bring out the flavor a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, I think, yeah, if you add a little bit of sweetness to it, I think it'll really kick it up a notch. Yeah. But I think as it is, I don't, I don't think this particular coffee is anything special other than really just to really give you a, a kick. A kick, yeah. yeah. It, it's still it good, is, though. It's still good. I, I do enjoy it for its pretty straightforward yeah sort of like um like that neutral coffee taste yeah and it does and it does kick in pretty strong yeah so i think with yeah yeah. if you were to enjoy it even as a cold beverage because i think they they do also offer that too right Mm -hmm. offer this with and as well as like iced coffee of sorts so having that type of combination i think will come out pretty well as well yeah like this is very much a a bean that you would use like for having coffee for the sake of having coffee Right, right exactly like if you really need the caffeine or something like this is the one that you would go for yeah yeah so any other sort of fragrance or or flavor notes that you're getting i'm not getting anything else on it okay so then uh while we sip on this coffee why don't we uh talk about the books we'll talk about this week yeah let's do it all right so now we're on our comic segment uh this segment what we normally do is we break down some of our favorite comics and we just sort of analyze sort of the deeper meanings behind these comics and we sort of go a little deeper and a little more analytical on some of the themes that they're trying to portray. Uh, so the first book that we're going to break down today is called Batman the Dawnbreaker. It's written by Sam Humphreys with art by Ethan Van Skyver. The colors are done by Jason Wright with lettering done by Tom Napolitano. So the first thing that came to my mind when I read this book, I read it actually a few times first because this book is more of a, on the surface, is more of a, just a straight revenge story, essentially. Yeah. And it's more so, I was more just captivated by the art at first because I really like Ethan Van Skyver. Yeah. He's a really good artist. And he's he's actually a longtime veteran um Green Lantern artist. Yeah. And he's been doing it since like the Jeff Johns run and stuff yeah. like that. So, you know, it's Jeff Johns run, the uh, Peter Tomasi run. So I was really just more mesmerized by the artwork. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want to give a little a little thing about the artwork first. Yeah, no, the artwork that, that to me, yeah. I really enjoy the issue based on that. Yeah. And he, the, um, the constructs that he was drawing, mm-hmm. what you normally find under Sinestro Corps' Yellow Lanterns, right? Mm-hmm. So... To see those construct come to life, yeah, in the green shade, yeah. Because in this issue, what happens is, uh, Batman actually ends up getting the ring, getting mm-hmm. the the power ring, the green the green ring, yeah. And he ends up using the powers, and it just corrupts him, and it uses the powers for evil. Mm-hmm. And so, in here, the construct that he makes is not just your normal everyday construct. It's not any heroic constructs. It's constructs out of out of freaks and and uh, monsters and and fear, right? Yeah. So, well, fearful creatures. Mm-hmm. Um. So, that just wanted to give a little 
shout out to the artwork. I really enjoyed it. It's really nice. It was awesome. Um, it was awesome but, artwork. Uh, speaking of Bruce receiving power, so mm-hmm. Bruce in this issue, um, it basically starts off with uh, the same sort of story that you kind of seen where Bruce's parents get shot in Crime Alley. Mm-hmm. And right after the shooting, um, the shooter leaves and he is sort of just stunned. But fear, like not fear, anger almost takes over him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the lack of fear in that specific moment attracted the Green Lantern ring. Mm-hmm. Because the Green Lantern ring is always looking for is always looking for people who do not have fear. Yeah. Right? So in this issue, the link the ring finds him, gives him the power, but on his mind is revenge. On his mind is anger. Mm-hmm. So he goes after um, what is what we think who we think is Joe Chill but we don't know because yeah. it's not specifically clear that it's Joe Chill right. in this issue or in this world rather mm-hmm. but he goes after him and then he essentially forces the construct through sheer willpower yeah. to break the essentially the cardinal rule uh, for Green Lanterns which is no killing no mm-hmm. bru- no um, lethal force lethal force yeah um, so he causes it to break that rule by using sheer willpower and corrupts the ring mm-hmm. and that brings me to my first point which was or which is rather the quote by John Emmerich Edward Dahlberg Acton also mm-hmm. known as Lord Acton uh, the quote absolute power corrupts absolutely okay to me this rings really true in this story because he essentially received the absolute power mm-hmm. right at his lowest point and it corrupted him eternally right because i think it 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 goes a, a lot of stories have um heroes that like in a moment of crisis don't end up pulling the trigger because they don't have the will to and then eventually later on they they gain the resources and then they they fight back but they learned along the way and stuff like that for him bruce is a child yeah. Like in this issue, Bruce is a child. He never had the chance to grow or learn, and he's just given the power. Mm-hmm. And given his emotional state at the time, yeah. it really caused him to just act out of frustration right. and, and just used it for, for evil. And he realized what the power could do for him, and he ended up using it in a corrupt way, essentially all over Gotham City to right. do what he wishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that stands out and the biggest difference between... Um, the Dawnbreaker and you know your your typical Green Lantern is yeah he felt no fear uh, but he also felt nothing else yeah right like in that in that moment um, when his parents got killed he explicitly states that I've I felt nothing in the moment like no fear um, no anger right like he just he just felt nothing yeah right but it's sort of that it's that void that uh, that's created in the beginning mm-hmm. that really starts to take over his character as as the issue goes along. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you know, with other lanterns, yeah, they they have they have no fear, but they have other emotions that um, that they rely on as well. That right? guide them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like um, love. Uh, hope, hope to to certain extent right mm-hmm. because those are all like those are all like complementary colors on the spectrum yeah right uh but in this case uh he felt nothing right so i think that's what allowed him to 
I guess, corrupt the ring in mm-hmm. a sense because it was just nothing but pure willpower. Pure willpower and just darkness. Yeah, that's you know, it. Right? right. And we also understand like these worlds are created and essentially exist based on these negative energies, right? Mm-hmm. Based on the fact that they're a negative interpretation of what the actual world is in the multiverse, right? right. Uh, something that I found really interesting is I didn't actually notice this initially, but now that we're a few books into these tie-ins, yeah. you notice that all of these worlds in the regular multiverse are actually, like, they actually exist. So mm-hmm. regular Earth-32 yeah. in the multiverse yeah. is actually a world where Batman is Green Lantern. Right. So those two heroes are already fused. Mm-hmm. And also Martian, Manhunter, and Superman, I believe. Yep. And there's other ones that are fused. Like, well, I think you said it was Hawkgirl. And Wonder and Woman. And Wonder Woman, right, yeah. Victor? Um. So it's that world already exists. Yeah. In this world, Bruce Wayne from this world is actually from Earth minus thirty two. Yeah. So it's actually a dark multiverse version of the regular Earth thirty two. Right. And not just Earth Zero Batman. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a pretty interesting revelation because we I started going back to the other books and started noticing that all of them are from negative versions right. of worlds that ex- already exist mm-hmm. and not just from your regular Earth Zero. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is really cool. Which is cool. And it's also an interesting fact, and I just thought about this. Earth Zero doesn't have a negative version of itself because it's zero. You can't have yeah. a negative zero. Yeah. Right? So uh, the Earth Zero version is very unique in, in the sense that it's it's a universe that's, I guess, an amalgamation of both the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. right because again you can't have negative zeros right yeah. so that means that the the light and the darkness have to be able to uh coexist into in i guess in one universe right yeah I mean, you can go to you you can go to universe one and have a negative one universe two and there's a negative two right mm-hmm. but they're, they're, that can't exist for universe zero so i think that's i just thought about that that's really cool yeah yeah <laughs> it, it gives it a certain uniqueness so yeah. It's not like just oh we're just following a random world mm-hmm. in our regular continuity. It's yeah. actually it's it's unique for that reason, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in so yeah, in this issue is just it it's really interesting because we've seen um, cases where it's just absolute power corrupts, mm-hmm. but in today's issues, like in this issue and in the the next issue we're gonna talk about with the drowned, yeah, absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's true is so true mm-hmm. in these two issues specifically because mm-hmm. they receive that power mm-hmm. right and it and it strictly talks about those corruption mm-hmm. right so if, to me it's actually really good that we're able to discuss these two issues together yeah 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 the the one uh, sort of theme that I really got from the Dawnbreaker um, and you mentioned it earlier Jerry is, is revenge right mm-hmm. I think that revenge um, uh, I guess as a theme plays really strongly in the Dawnbreaker. Yeah. Uh, for a couple of reasons, right? Um, the first one is is that you know we have this concept that revenge is sweet, mm-hmm. right? That revenge soothes the soul. Yeah. Right. Uh, but in recent years, behavioral psychologists have actually discovered that revenge doesn't necessarily provide the satisfaction that everyone is expecting, mm-hmm. right? And in fact, revenge may actually do the opposite and prolong the unpleasantness of the original offense, right? So we see this throughout the issue, right? 
and even uh, Bruce says so himself, you know, uh, the most powerful weapon is on my finger. Yeah. And I still felt vulnerable and helpless, right? Uh, which leads me to my next point that because when he because revenge doesn't necessarily fill the void that he's uh that he's experiencing experiencing, yeah Yeah. um it creates this cycle of retaliation that he has right um and basically this cycle of retaliation stems from the fact that not every single person is morally aligned Mm -hmm. right so if even if the person offends him in the slightest right he's just gonna kill them yeah right um and we see this when he spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't read the issue i suppose right yeah he does kill a number of notable characters mm-hmm. um that we would normally consider to be inherently good characters no we see them to be good in in earth zero mm-hmm. right um but because they're not completely morally aligned with the Dawnbreaker, he just nitpicks at them for little things and then as soon as as soon as they offend him in any way, he just smokes them. Yeah. Right. And very I, easily triggered that Bruce Wayne. Oh, very easily triggered. <laughs> very easily triggered. Um and this also leads into a quote by uh Francis Bacon from uh the essays in fifteen ninety seven. So this is this is a little bit of old English, and I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna try and, and say this as studiously as i possibly can (laughs) a man that studieth revenge keeps his own wounds green which otherwise would heal and do well right and this is this is so true in in this issue right because he is basically using his parents death Mm -hmm. as a justification to kill other people yeah so basically He's saying, if my parents don't deserve to live, then these guys don't deserve to live either. Yeah. Right? But because he does that, he's constantly reminding himself yeah. of that moment when his parents died. Mm-hmm. Right? So he's never able to really move on. Right? So he uses it that as a justification to kill people to, I guess, enact his own brand of justice mm-hmm. to try and fill the void that's within him. Yeah. But this... But his reason for killing and the constant killing is what makes the void larger to begin with, mm-hmm. right? So it's this never-ending cycle of just ruminating on old wounds and, and retaliating against other people. And that's what leads him, I guess, down the path that that he's going down in this issue. Yeah. Right? And another thing that you mentioned in there is that he keeps the wound green. Yeah. Right? So I think that actually... That ties in quite a bit to something that we discussed last week, yeah. which was the uh, the stages of grief. Mm-hmm. Whereas we saw the murder machine, right? It was the mm-hmm. murder machine. Yeah. Um, the murder machine essentially got stuck on denial, mm-hmm. right? Here, we actually see the Dawnbreaker just skip right past denial. Yeah. I think that the moment they pull the trigger, he's just like, nope, it happened. Mm-hmm. And he's now stuck on anger. Yeah. Right? And he's just... And the anger just completely takes over him. And he mm-hmm. doesn't move past it. Yeah. Because he doesn't find... He's not finding any reasons to. And he's mm-hmm. not allowing himself the opportunity to move past anger. Yeah. So, in this issue, we actually see him take that and just take it out on everybody in his path. Mm-hmm. Right? Which, 
actually ends up leading him to a pretty dark place to somewhere where he just he doesn't quite understand why he still feels a certain way mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting because he he didn't give himself the opportunity to grow out of it yeah and but he is he's also confused as to why it's still happening and yeah. he's continuously using anger to try to see maybe this is the answer but it's truly not yeah right um and again with these characters it it has so much to do with their psychology mm-hmm. right which is why i keep referring back to psychology in, in these episodes yeah. because again it, it's such a it's such a huge detraction from the the typical bruce wayne that we would know yeah right um one i guess pure psychology uh reference that i'm getting in the dawnbreaker is something uh, called the super ego um, and the freudian projection mm-hmm. right so the super ego is a part of our personality that incorporates values and morals of society and is generally learned at an early age right uh, this is the part of us that enacts guilt whenever we do something wrong mm-hmm. all right so whenever we let's say for example we we hurt somebody by accident mm-hmm. right we're gonna feel bad about it because our super ego would dictate that we should feel bad about that right right because based on our morals and our values we shouldn't be hurting people right and then with Freudian projection now now Freudian projection is the attribution of normally unacceptable thoughts feelings and motives onto others Mm -hmm. right so we sort of see this battle between the superego and the Freudian projection right because even though the Dawnbreaker is likely aware that what he is doing is wrong, mm-hmm. Freudian projection supersedes his ego. Yeah. Therefore, he feels no guilt for what he does and sees it as justified. Right. Again, I'll use the example of of his parents. Right. He he knows that he shouldn't be going out and, and just killing criminals. He knows that. Right. He knows that he shouldn't be going around and um, killing the people that we would consider to be good. Mm-hmm. But because he's projecting onto them yeah um i guess the fact that they they're not as good as his parents that's his justification for being okay it's okay to kill these guys right so i thought that that was that was really interesting uh the difference between his super ego yeah and, and the Freudian projection and the yeah and the projection just completely taking over yeah yeah and actually onto your uh earlier point jerry about um, I guess as constructs, right? You can sort of think of that as literal Freudian projections. Yeah. Right? Because these are these are like dark constructs that the Dawnbreaker creates, right? And these constructs are are manifestations of his inner thoughts and, and emotions such as loneliness, vulnerability, essentially his inner demons. Yeah. And he's literally projecting them onto other people. Yeah. Right? So I thought that was a. That's actually a, really. Neat. I I didn't actually think about that, Victor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's something. I just thought the. <laughs> I thought the projection was just really cool. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the, yeah, the, the whole literal sense, projection like thing it, is really cool. Yeah. 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 So actually, Jerry, I'm I'm sort of like, I think halfway through my coffee now. Yeah. Me, me too. Somewhere around there. You want to move on um, to the uh, next issue? Well, do you want to give any final thoughts on the on the book? Um. Uh, I thought that the the overall issue was good. Yep. I think you mentioned earlier that there were some pacing issues. Yeah. And and I see it now, right? Because I, as I as I went through the issue a couple of times, 
the one thing that I notice is because it keeps skipping back and forth uh, between what's happening presently with the Dawnbreaker, uh, you know, I guess when he's meeting with um, the 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 Batman who laughs, yeah, and when they keep skipping back to his earlier days as as a Green Lantern, I thought that skipping back and forth really sort of broke the story a little bit. It broke yeah. it. It broke it up too much. Yeah. Right. Like. I just couldn't. F- there was no continuity in in how I felt mm-hmm. in my emotions while reading the the issue, um, as well as the, uh, the the overall story. I feel like partially is because, as good as the art is on this book, yeah. which I think is just amazing, mm-hmm. there's no real break that distinguishes between the present and the past. Yeah, so it's not. It's not like when I think last week we were talking about with Federici's art mm-hmm. on the murder machine where he actually uses different color palettes yeah. to distinguish where he is at in the storyline. Yeah. Whether it's the past or the present. Yeah. In in this book, he uses the same it to me he uses the same color palette. Mm-hmm. Um so the, the the artwork is similar enough and also what didn't to me what didn't really help is the fact that Bruce looks older. Yeah. than a 10-year-old child. Yeah. Right from the very beginning, where the um, the crime alley stuff happens, he he already looks like he's like in his teens, like in his teens. Yeah. And when he puts on the Green Lantern onesie, <laughs> he he looks older. Oh yeah. Like he looks like he's in, like, like in his twenties, like early twenties, early twenties or like mid teens. Yeah. And that that kind of threw me off because Bruce shouldn't be that old at the time, and it almost takes away from. The yeah. childish actions he's doing, like yeah. the childish anger actions that he's yeah. that he's taking, because he looks a little older past that part. Yeah. But when you look back at it, and you you see that he, it's a ten year old because all of those things happen in consecutive. Right? Yeah. So you see that it's like a 10, 12 year old doing it, and it's like, okay, you understand that the anger is there, but yeah. it almost detracted from it. And there are certain sequences in the book where it felt like it could have used a little more than a splash page. Yeah. Use a little more than two panels. Yeah. There were parts in the story where it just felt like it just it it glossed over so fast. Yeah. You know? And after after he the the stuff that happened on the rooftop, mm-hmm. he goes into the power battery because he felt like just the void is still there. He couldn't mm-hmm. cast it away and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So he goes into the power battery and when he comes out he came out with the Dawnbreaker outfit, which yeah. another thing about the Dawnbreaker outfit, why does he have metal briefs why not on the outside (laughs) why not (laughs) i thought we're past that like i thought we're i thought we're at this stage now apparently dc's gonna bring it back like regular briefs on the outside he has metal briefs on the outside protection man (laughs) i I guess (laughs) but so he comes out in his dawnbreaker outfit and it's just world falls apart yeah i really wished he could have done something more in that world before it just falls to pieces like that yeah Right? Well, a lot of what he did in the world is we don't see, right? Yeah. Because it's 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 implied exactly right, yeah. throughout the issue before he becomes the Dawnbreaker, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it's, it's it's interesting that you, you brought up that point because when he was talking to Commissioner Gordon, uh, you know, Gordon goes, you know, I know you're hurting, and he's like, oh, you don't know me, and then Commissioner Gordon's like. Uh, don't kid yourself you know three years ago uh you know uh two adults killed one ch- uh leaving a child behind 
right? I was like, really? Like, he's that big and it was only three years ago? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, that's exactly. It's kind of a little unbelievable. Yeah. Right? But, you know, in, in the comics world, you can sort of get away with that stuff. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So, so but yeah, I think, um, yeah, I'm just working through my coffee. So let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and uh, move on to the second book. Let's do it. Uh, in the second book, uh, what we're going to be talking about is Batman the Drowned. Uh, that's written by Dan Abnett, with art by Philip Tan and Tyler Kirkham. Colors done by Dean White and Arif Prianto. I think that's how you pronounce it. I hope so. And <laughs> yeah, I really hope so. And uh, lettering done by Tom Napolitano. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in this book, he's done a lot of lettering. He's for he's all done all of yeah. <laughs> Like we go through book and book. It's like Tom, you're putting in work. That's it, man. Putting in work, Tom. So in this world takes place in the reverse side of Earth-11. Okay. Which actually, regular Earth-11 is the world where every everyone is gender-swapped. Okay, cool. All the yeah, rules yeah, are gender-swapped. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, in that world, Bruce Wayne is female. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, her name is Bryce Wayne. Yeah. And there's actually, uh, instead of Catwoman, it's Catman. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Um. And yeah, everyone's reversed. Uh, Aquaman is now Aquawoman. Mm-hmm. So this story takes place in Earth minus 11. Okay. And Bryce Wayne essentially loses someone that she loves. Mm-hmm. And actually, fun fun little reference here. Um, so in the current Batman stories, Batman and Catwoman are, are pretty much a big thing right yeah. now, right? So in here uh, with Batwoman... With mm-hmm. Bryce Wayne yeah. and Catman. Yeah. Uh, Catman's name is uh, Sylvester Kyle. Yeah. Of Selena Kyle. Sylvester Kyle. Yeah. Sylvester the Cat. Oh, I knew you'd bring that up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember when this issue first came out. It was a couple of months ago. Yeah. You had just you you ran up to me like, "Yo, Sylvester the Cat, bro." <laughs> I was like, "Oh shoot, yeah." <laughs> I was like, "I can't believe it." They made a reference to Sylvester the Cat. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's really fun. And um and it's actually cool because recently they did the crossovers with Looney Tune. Yeah. So this has gotta be a planned thing from a while ago. Oh absolutely. So, yeah, it has to be. Yeah. So in this story she loses Sylvester. Yeah. And her city like tanks and the yeah. city drowns and um she's essentially declaring war on Atlantis mm-hmm. and uh, and on Aqua Woman. Yeah. And uh the, the you know, the whole the whole war going on. Yeah. So what happens is she changes herself to adapt to Atlantean warfare yeah so then she can go underwater and fight the war mm-hmm. so then she goes and fights and she fights for her people and eventually defeats um def- defeats Aquawoman yeah um but then s- realizes that her world is falling apart and yeah. her world is not meant to be mm-hmm. again because it's part of the dark multiverse yeah right? yeah yeah so um same thing uh, Joker who laughs or Batman who laughs the Joker who laughs <laughs> Like all, all the jokers, all laugh. the jokers laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so Batman, who laughs, approaches her again, tells her the same thing, and yep. eventually recruits her for the for the above ground world, like mm-hmm. to the regular multiverse, to Earth yeah. Zero. What's really interesting in here, first thing I thought about, and well, first thing I thought about was art is amazing. Yeah, just Philip Tan, Tyler absolutely so good. I don't think there's there's been an issue where the artwork was terrible so far. Yeah, and especially I don't think there's been an issue where the artwork didn't fit the book, yeah. right? Because yeah. sometimes, sometimes obviously you're gonna find books that just have really good art, but it's just that it's not meant for that book. Yeah, I think so far what we've had in each of these issues is the the artwork really matches up the book. 
Yeah. It really matches the style and yeah. it really matches the storytelling. Absolutely. So it's really good. Yeah. I'm actually um I'm actually really interested uh to hear what you have to say about this issue because I actually had a bit of trouble dissecting it. So oh, yeah? yeah, so you know, I want to hear sort of what your points I, are. I had a bit of trouble too, mm-hmm. but eventually I think what it boils down to and it's something very specific that she says in an issue. Yeah. That event that really triggered it for me. Okay. Because for me this book she comes off as a hero yeah she comes off as a hero for her for her world she comes off as a hero for his city and she's trying to fight back the oppression right yeah um so she she shapes the world to her liking um and she she tries to fight back Atlantis and eventually she does yeah but in the meantime she raises an army and the army fights for her right right there's a reveal later on the book where spoilers, but just yeah, read the book. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, it's just it's yeah. She goes, um, she goes to the surface world and she tries yeah. to eventually devour, um, Amnesty Bay. Right, right, right. Uh, where where Aquaman is from. Yeah. So she tries to devour Amnesty Bay by spitting out water, almost like a force that she she exudes this special type of water yeah. like this very unique looking water it's like purplish water yeah so she tries to devour everything and she tries to drown everything out yeah well the, the other thing about this water too is that I guess any intelligent life form would turn into dead water exactly yeah. so the water be, the water turns things into dead water yeah and she actually makes a reveal later on saying that's how she creates the army yeah she, she releases this she carries the army with her and the army essentially get brainwashed or something yeah and they get turned into uh dead water creatures Mm -hmm. and they essentially do her bidding yeah and to me that's when it triggered Mm -hmm. um because she's not so much just a revolutionary anymore yeah she's goes from revolutionary eventually and become a dictator yeah and to me that's when i started to do some of my research and it's really fascinating some of the actual historical figures yeah that go through something similar um, the f- first thing I thought about was uh, back in the French Revolution with uh, Maximilian Francois Marie Isidore de Robespierre. Good job, Robespierre. I think. <laughs> I think. I don't know. I'm not a French major. I should. I really should have been. I'm in Canada. I really should have just. Hey, you're I, mean, not I, should, I should know five words. But <laughs> bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> bonjour. We talk about comics. So, <laughs> so I'm just gonna call him. Just you know, for the sake of clarity, Max. Yeah. So he's a French lawyer and he's a politician, and yeah. then he's actually one of the more influential figures associated with the French Revolution and at the time, what's called the Reign of Terror. Yeah. So I I knew a bit about the French Revolution, but I wanted to look into it some more. So I actually spent quite some time digging and finding information on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's essentially he was named a member of the Committee of Public Safety. Yeah. And at the time, it was because they had just overthrown. Uh, they overthrown Louis mm-hmm. so they created um, essentially this thing called the uh, National Convention mm-hmm. um, that essentially started the French Revolution and it's just like a governing body mm-hmm. right instead of a king mm-hmm. um, instead of the uh, monarchy so the the Committee of Public Safety essentially became the de facto government body during the revolution because they would make world time, uh, wartime decisions and stuff okay. like that so on here he essentially made a bunch of made a bunch of decisions that started to 
started on the right track, mm-hmm. but then eventually became def- not just defending the revolution, but yeah. taking out people who oppose it, people okay. who had any anything else to say about mm-hmm. you know something negative to say or just oppose the national convention. Yeah. So what I found was really interesting is he started as somebody who was trying to fight for the people yeah. for the revolution. Yeah. And he eventually had so much power that it, it overtook him. Mm-hmm. And he started making those decisions. And he started actually like he started actually rubbing some people the wrong way. Yeah. And there there were people from the opposing sides who were actually either opposed to the revolution or actually wanted to give the committee more power. Mm-hmm. Which he didn't actually want because he didn't want like to have all that you know decisions and stuff like that. Yeah. Um so all these people who opposed it or actually are for even greater power for the committee all eventually opposed Max. Mm-hmm. And it's it's actually it's actually really interesting for me because at the end he he got executed as well and uh, during the time he was it was actually it was called the Reign of Terror right and he goes around and um, I think they had like the most executions during that time too mm-hmm. executions by guillotine and after essentially after um, Robespierre uh, was executed. That's kind of the tail end of yeah. the uh, of the reign of terror. Yeah, and to me that that connects with the drowned because the drowned was essentially a character that wanted to wanted the uprising, mm-hmm. wanted to fight back the oppression, mm-hmm. and then just ended up getting more and more power. And the power she was essentially uh, just uh, powering herself up. Yeah, right, because she had altered herself. So. She goes through this transformation and then sort of had so much power that she created this army because she thought she knew what was better. Right. And in her mind, if she already knows this is the better solution and mm-hmm. or this is a better vision of the world, then she just says, I'm not even about to let you make your decision. I'm going to make that decision for you because yeah. I know what's better. Mm-hmm. So to me, that, that really rings true to the situation back in, back in the French Revolution. But yeah. obviously with... With the drown, she's not dead. No, she didn't end up dead. She's, she's <laughs> so, very much alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's other, there were other leaders, um, and I, I may be missing or like mixing up some of the points and some of the facts from the French Revolution. So if you're, if you're a history buff, please, please don't hang me. <laughs> so, um, but I just found that it was really interesting, and I'm really trying to just condense that history down. Yeah. So I may be skipping or glossing over some stuff, maybe some important stuff, but yeah, uh, just trying to get. Uh, Try to get that connection with the drowned, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that's essentially what I had on it. Um, that that part to me was the most fascinating part about the story. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting that that you went in that direction with that issue because all of those similar points took me down a different road. Really, right? Because to me, mm-hmm. uh, the strongest theme in the drowned was cynicism. Okay, right? Because it's very clear in this issue and she makes it clear several times in this issue that she trusts no one but herself. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and because of that, she basically believes that only her and her alone can make her world better. Okay. Right. So when Aquaman and the Atlanteans showed up immediately, she had no trust for them. Even though she said, even though they they said they came in peace, 
uh, I knew better, right? I trust my gut, right? So, so that view is so. I mean, we the the regular Batman is cynical as well, yeah, right. But he also has a select few individuals that he truly trusts. Yeah, like of course he trusts Wonder Woman. Of course he trusts Superman. Lantern, Flash, he trusts everybody in the Justice League. Yeah, right? he does have contingencies against all of them, though. He does, right? And that's that's like if you if you speak about true trust, yeah, from Batman, yeah. At the same time, with those contingencies, you can almost question whether or not it's truly he truly trusts his allies. Yeah, right. I can't remember. Does did Batman also create a contingency for himself as well? Yes. Yeah, I believe so. So yeah, but so that's also that's not truly cynicism then, mm-hmm. because. It's not that he doesn't trust them, but he just knows what everybody can do, including himself. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess yeah. It's more so the the dangers that each that each one of them should they turn rogue. Yeah. The kind of dangers they pose yeah. in the world. Yeah. So it's so it's not so much that he doesn't trust the uh, the members of the league. Right. He doesn't trust the people that are around them essentially, or the really that could definitely take advantage of yeah that yeah. could take advantage of like for sure he does not trust any of those villains yeah because you know at any moment and we've seen this many many times over they can take control um of the superheroes and 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 turn them into like god level weapons yeah right like it did you ever watch young justice uh no the animated series right yeah no no well that they did that in young justice season two right so so like, like you we see that happen time and time and again and again these contingency plans are not so much cynicism as they are defense mechanisms, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but uh, where the cynicism stems from, um, and actually a, a personality researcher at the University of California, Irvine, named uh, Salvatore Maddy, uh, proposed that cynicism often begins when effort is being put in to achieve a goal, and then their hopes are dashed when the goal isn't achieved, Right. And, and we see this in the drown when she basically claims that protecting her world was an obsession and she was consumed by protecting the world. And then at some point she realized this world can't be saved, right? So even though she put in all this effort at the end, the world couldn't be saved anyway, mm-hmm. right? So that created this huge sense of cynicism within her. I mean, even more so after... Uh, Sylvester had died. Right. So right. Like that. so that just cemented her cynicism, right? Um and again to bring up your point Jerry about the the auto surgery that she did on herself to to fight on the Atlanteans terms. Mm-hmm. Again, that's that's a, a a sign of like the most extreme cynicism. Yeah. Because she basically only trusts herself to win this fight. Mm-hmm. So she went to the most extreme means to ensure that she she ended up winning this fight. So I, I thought that that was insanely cynical. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's it's kind of crazy that that she went that far. But yeah. again, that's what makes this character what she is. Yeah. Right? So. And like you said, Victor, like she she really went through the moments where she's just like, I trust nobody. Yeah. I trust me. I trust yeah. nobody. Yeah. Um, And that part I think it's is one of the things that I think truly defines her right mm-hmm. and it yeah exactly what you were talking about with cynicism mm-hmm. yeah and uh, 
yeah, I think we pretty much covered the points on this on this book. I essentially had that big overlying theme. Yeah, with what I wanted to talk about with this book, which yeah. I thought was really fascinating, mm-hmm. and actually cynicism never really, never really crossed my mind. I mm-hmm. knew she was cynical, but it never really crossed my mind that she was essentially at the extremes. Right, right. So, um, I think we're gonna just sort of get to our final thoughts because we're pretty much done our cup of coffee. I only, I I've only got like see a, like the mud. Oh. <laughs> I've I've been done a long time ago. Oh, well, I'm on my I'm on my few final sips. So, yeah. um, what are, what are some of your final thoughts on the book? Um, I definitely think that uh, The Drowned was a much better paced book than The Dawnbreaker. Yeah. Um, only because, I mean, there there was some skipping back and forth because there she was skipping back and forth between, um, what was happening on her world and. Um, her fight between uh, Aquaman and Mira, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it was more focused on, it was more focused on uh, what she was doing uh, earlier uh, than the moment that she was fighting Aquaman, right? right. And a lot of what happened between her and Aquaman happened at the end before Doctor Fate came in, right? right yeah. So um, I thought that this book was was much better paced. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, the artwork worked well for it. I really liked the fact that the speech bubbles and the and the um, and the words were in in blue. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that because what what better way to remind you that everything is being said underwater than that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you have a point. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, Tom Napolitano. You, you're doing it, man. You're killing it. So good. It. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Any final thoughts? Yeah the the book to me, I I do wish they spent a little more time. Um. Again, like her world just kind of fell apart. Yeah. Right. I I wanted to see what else they would do on that world mm-hmm. before it falls apart. Mm-hmm. Before the before the universe essentially realizes that it's an abomination. Right. And that they need to take the world apart and they need to rot away. Yeah. I kind of hope that I was kind of hoping that you would see more of a downfall. And mm-hmm. with actually a lot of these books, I wanted to see more of the downfall on the world to really remind us what's at stake once they come to our world. Mm-hmm. Right once they come to Earth Zero, I say our world, like like we belong. <laughs> we are Earth Zero. <laughs> we are Earth Zero. Yeah, Superman's just hanging out somewhere in Kansas, <laughs> just just chilling. <laughs> <laughs> so once they arrive at Earth Zero, I want to be able to see what other kind of damage they can do. Right to really remind us, like our heroes really do need to succeed, mm-hmm. because if they don't, then they're just they, they just stand no chance. Yeah. Right. Um, and actually, the the part. The part with with Mira, mm-hmm. that part was gut wrenching. That's sad. So sad. It was so sad. Yeah, because and, it, and like... it was so well done because the the panels that that they drew to to show the transformation is so good. Yeah, and yeah, it just re- it really made you feel. And Aquaman's expression afterwards is just yeah, yeah, really felt for him. Yeah, and and even that transition was it was a smooth transition uh, or transformation they showed in the panels. Mm-hmm. But you could also get a sense in, in in those panels that it was a quick transformation as well, and that was what was sort of the most gut wrenching. Yeah. Right. Like, because I mean, let's yeah. let's use The Walking Dead as an example, right? Imagine watching a, a a loved one turn into a zombie right before your eyes, mm-hmm. right? Like just running those emotions in in your head and and just trying to imagine that. Like, I could only imagine what Aquaman was feeling in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. so sad so sad um, so yeah uh, 
overall, I really did enjoy the book. Yeah, and Aquaman's like my Aquaman himself is pretty much my favorite character. Anyway, Aquaman to you is like what the Flash is to me. So yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> you might as well just wear orange all the time. Some green I really pants. should like for someone who really likes Aquaman. I don't wear enough orange. I don't I think notice. you wear enough green either. I think I, I don't think I wear enough colors. Just I think black. I just, just black. <laughs> might, black as well, really might as well just be Batman. Just, yeah, but like I mean, everybody's Batman. Everybody's trying to be Batman. So I guess you know, so. I gotta yeah, change it up. I gotta go really, go really, really orange. orange. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm I'm pretty much done my drink now. I think I just went through my um my final few sips. So uh, we're gonna go into a new segment. That it's essentially kind of like a recommendation segment, yeah. uh, because I I want us to be able to to discuss a few things outside of the world of comics, yeah, and outside of the world of coffee, mm-hmm. and just sort of just you know get a little discussion going with some of the things outside, and maybe these are just some of the things that it could still be comics, maybe it's just comics that we're reading that we really enjoy that I yeah. think you guys will really enjoy as well, yeah. Maybe it's some games that we're playing that we think you'll enjoy. Maybe it's some things that are coming out we're really excited for. Mm-hmm. But uh, it just gives a little chance, a little space to discuss. Yeah. Right? So uh, I think, yeah, uh, let's go for it. Yep. So now we're on our brand new segment. Uh, this is a segment that is more so a... A recommendation segment something just outside of the world of comics something outside of the world of coffee something that we wanted to share with you the listeners and it's hope- hopefully something that you're going to enjoy as well something that we enjoy uh, we're going to call this segment moving forward i think we're going to call it offering to dark side yay <laughs> <laughs> we're going to call it an offering to to dark side and i'm going to try to come up with some fun titles for the other segments as well instead of just calling coffee and and comic segment and stuff like that i'll I'll come up with something fun um but for this segment um in our first ever offering to dark side uh my offering is is an album by elise tro okay uh first i i first came across her stuff on youtube when she did a live mashup Mm -hmm. of foo fighters uh everlong and what you won't do for love by Bobby Caldwell. Um, she ended up playing essentially all the instruments herself, and oh, she that's just cool. like she did like recording. She did it live, and then she like set it on loops and stuff like that. She plays them, set them on loops, and puts them on a in a mashup, and it's so well done. So then, I started looking into her. I was like, oh, I want to find more of her stuff. So on iTunes, I ended up finding her album. It's called Unraveling, and uh, this was released back in 2017. And mm-hmm. the album itself has 10 songs on it. And it's so good, mm-hmm. so so good. Um, there's there's really a very unique style to it, a very a very unique um, sort of like uh, not not so much simple, but like very easy listening, and uh, yeah, just great voice as well, and just super talented. Uh, she actually ended up performing a bunch of different mashups too on Jimmy Kimmel Live, right? And just some of those performances are so well done. And she can even she can hold her own doing stuff live too. Because yeah. you know a lot of artists sometimes they they need some work doing things live. Right. But I think she came from that first before she does recordings. Mm-hmm. So then her live stuff is just phenomenal. That's awesome. So that's my offering to Dark Side. <laughs> Elise Tro, uh, unraveling. Excellent. What about you, Victor? Well, Jerry. What have you got for Dark Side? My offering to Dark Side is a documentary by uh, National Geographic called Savage Kingdom. Okay. All right? So there's two seasons out for it right now. 
Um, I just finished the second season. Oh man, it is such a good documentary. And the reason why it's so good is because the narration style is very different, right? So it's it's narrated in a very Game of Thrones-esque sort of way. Okay. So you have like acres and acres of, of um, African savannah, mm-hmm. right? And they're following these prides of lions they're following these prides of 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 wild dogs and and uh i think it's maybe coyotes or dingoes i'm not too sure um and he they basically narrate what they're doing as if they know exactly what those animals are thinking right okay uh so at first i thought it was weird because you're almost anthropomorphizing these animals. Yeah. Right? But then what happens is you get caught up in the drama and you're just <laughs> like, I can't wait for the next episode, right? So it's very much like Game of Thrones, right? Okay. And the cool thing too is it's actually narrated by Charles Dance, okay. who plays Tywin Lannister in or did play Tywin Lannister <laughs> in, in Game of Thrones. So um the spoilers. Oh, uh, well, it's too late now, <laughs> but I thought it was, um, I thought that was really cool. And that's definitely something I'm going to recommend people to watch. Okay. Yeah. Like this is the first thing that I've, that I ever bought on YouTube, right? Like the first, like any, any sort of episode, like the first thing I paid for on YouTube because it's mm-hmm. so good. When you actually look into the amount of work that, that went into making the, the, the first two seasons and the the stuff that a lot of the camera people and and the crew put themselves through to make sure they got the perfect shot mm-hmm. i was like man there's there's no way i'm not supporting these guys yeah right yeah. because it's like i i mean i could never put myself in their shoes like because they're they're filming this stuff like right next to these lions mm-hmm. in, in like an in like an open car like there's no doors and sometimes they have to get out of the car and, and lay next to the lions to get the perfect shot I couldn't, I couldn't put myself <laughs> in that position. So, you know, kudos to to that crew from National Geographic, and I, there was no way I couldn't support them. Yeah, I mean, I love Tywin Lannister, so yeah, I'm gonna give that series a try. Actually, yeah, it's, man, go sounds ahead, pretty cool for sure, 100. percent Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that's, I mean, that's that's our first ever offerings to Dark Side. I hope Dark Side is pleased. I hope he is pleased because Dark Side is, um, and uh, I hope you're pleased. And I hope that you'll take our recommendations, and hopefully you're gonna, you're gonna enjoy them as much as we did. I just don't want to get Omega beamed in and the face, well, <laughs> <laughs> and just get sent back in time. Yeah, <laughs> and that, that's how we start our dark multiverse. That's we'll it, just man. Just get sent back in time because our offering and sucked. see us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, for next week, uh, what we're going to talk about is two more books from the uh, the Dark Knights. It's uh, Batman the Merciless and Batman the Devastator. Uh, I believe those stories are about Superman and Wonder Woman. Yes. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. Um, that seems like it's going to be really fun. And uh, in three weeks, actually, after that, it's essentially when uh, the last issue of Dark Knight's, Dark Knight's Metal comes out. Yes. So actually, that will be essentially where we catch up on the rest of the Dark Knight series. Because mm-hmm. um, by then, our schedule, we're hoping to get to essentially get to cover five and six. Uh, the main series of Dark Knight's Metal 5 and 6 by the time it releases or the yeah. following week we can cover it 
and um, that essentially will cover our entire saga of going through the Dark Knight's Metal. So that'll be pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So again, thank you for tuning in, and uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, remember, you can always reach us by email at contact at darkrosecomics.com with any questions or suggestions that you may have. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash darkrosecomics, twitter.com slash geeky for myself, and twitter.com slash victorjyoung for my co-host Victor. Uh, on Instagram, you can also find us at instagram.com slash darkrosecomics. And as always, take care. Bye. Bye. <laughs>